We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 406 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, September 23rd, 2022. It is the first full day of fall. Yes, summer is over. Fall has begun. We on Thursday night at 9.03 p.m. Eastern had the autumn equinox. Uh, you know, this is a time in which the big four of Washington, D.C. sports all converge. Commanders, Nationals, Capitals, and Wizards. Uh, the Commanders in that seasons, of course, are ongoing. The Caps on Thursday officially began their training camp. The Wizards on Saturday will officially begin their training camp. You know, we actually had some news at Caps camp on Thursday. Center Nicholas Backstrom said that he is pain-free of having hip resurfacing surgery. Uh, he was in discomfort for years. He called the surgery a, quote, life changer, end quote. Things had not been feeling good when it came to Nicholas Backstrom and this hip situation, and it really was feeling like this could be the end of Nicholas Backstrom's career. You know, we'll see. There still is no timeline for when he might play this upcoming season, but Backstrom did say that he is, quote, optimistic, end quote, that he will play this season. Uh, also at Caps camp on Thursday, we learned that forward Carl Haglin, who is coming off a serious eye injury, has a lower body injury and is out indefinitely. Uh, such is life, I guess, when you are an older team, uh, as the Caps are. But yes, Caps camp has gotten going. Wizards camp is about to get going. Hello and welcome as we get going on a Football Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Coming up on the show, in-depth preview of the one-and-one one commanders against the 2-0 Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. I have the latest on injuries for the Commanders. I have plenty from offensive coordinator Scott Turner and defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio at their post-practice press conferences on Thursday afternoon. I have a special guest to talk Eagles, Sean Green, co-host of the Sports Gambling Podcast and co-host of the Die Hard Eagles Podcast. I have my rhyming keys for a Commanders win over the Eagles, and I have a prediction for the game as well. This is a big game. I mean, look, every game in an NFL season for a team is a big game, right? You only have 17 regular season games, but this one especially, if the commanders can pull this off, if the commanders 
can get the win on Sunday afternoon. How good is it going to feel when you and I are talking on Monday's show, right? Two and one with an NFC East victory over the Eagles having just been attained at FedEx Field. That will be a very nice conversation for you and me <laughs> on Monday's show. Uh, also, on this Friday show, uh, plenty of college football talk. I will react to Virginia Tech on Thursday night, getting hammered at home by West Virginia, 33-10, a terrible night for the Hokies. Uh, I have three Goldilocks picks for you, as Maryland, Virginia, and Navy will all be in action this weekend. Maryland at number four, Michigan, Saturday at noon. Virginia at Syracuse, Friday night at seven. Navy at East Carolina, Saturday evening at six. And I will talk Orioles. What a performance by Kyle Bradish on Thursday night. Eight and two-thirds scoreless innings. 10 strikeouts versus no walks in a 2-0 win over the American League-leading Houston Astros at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. You know, Bradish has tossed some gems this season. He tossed another one on Thursday night. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Keith Horton on Robert Sarver and Dan Snyder. Yeah, let's talk about this. So Robert Sarver, owner of the NBA's Phoenix Suns and the WNBA's Phoenix Mercury, he on Wednesday announced that he has begun the process of selling both franchises. Uh, This off the NBA on September 13th, having suspended Sarver for one year and having fined him $10 million. And those punishments were due to an investigation having found Sarver to have used the N-word at least five times, quote, when recounting the statements of others, end quote. Uh, The investigation also found Sarver to have been involved in, quote, instances of inequitable conduct toward female employees, end quote, including, quote, sex-related comments, end quote, and inappropriate comments on employees' appearances. And, of course, it is impossible for us as Commanders fans to see all of this off the team's workplace misconduct scandal and not wonder why Sarver is out But Dan Snyder remains as Commander's co-owner and co-CEO. So writes Keith, Al, big fan of yours and heck of a pod. Uh, Thank you, Keith. Continues, Keith. I've noticed a massive difference as to how the Sarber workplace misconduct has been handled versus how the Snyder workplace misconduct has been handled. First, multiple NBA players, including Chris Paul, who is an employee of Sarber, have called for serious action to be taken. Second, and ESPN's Brian Windhorst alluded to this, the NBA media will not give the players a pass in terms of refusing to ask NBA players about owner misconduct. I understand that NBA players have fuller guarantees in terms of contracts, but come on, how can NFL players be scared to speak up against Snyder, but Chris Paul has no problem speaking up against Sarver? Are you telling me Jonathan Allen saying that Snyder should be removed would result in John being out of football? To make matters worse, is there an unwritten rule that local media will not ask commanders players about owner misconduct? Would there be fear of losing access or of having Jason Wright removing credentials if media were to ask questions about owner misconduct? Are local media told beforehand what can be asked and what is off limits? And to say NFL and NBA players are simply different seems to be a massive oversimplification. A lot of us would love to hear your thoughts on this on the pod. Uh, Thank you for the email, Keith. Good topic. So uh, to me, there are several reasons why the Robert Sarver situation 
is playing out as it is and the Dan Snyder situation is playing out as it is. Uh, The principal reasons to me are A, other NBA owners are fine with Robert Sarver being out, whereas other NFL owners don't seem to want Dan Snyder out. Uh, We can speculate as to why, perhaps because they're afraid of what he would leak in the litigation that he would pursue. But ultimately, the reason that Dan Snyder still is the commander's owner is that the other NFL owners are allowing that. It is as simple as that. Don't get duped by, well, the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, is one way and the NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, is another way. The owners run the leagues, okay? The people who truly run major professional sports leagues are the team owners. If other NFL owners wanted Dan Snyder out, he would be out. He isn't out, which tells you that the other owners don't want Dan out or at the very least are fine with him remaining as commander's owner. B, NBA players do have a lot more power than NFL players. There are a variety of reasons for that, but that is true, okay? The NBA is a player's league. The star players have massive power in a way that star NFL players do not. C, Robert Sarver used the N-word. And that, in today's climate, is something from which a public figure essentially does not come back, even more so than a public figure does not come back from what Dan Snyder has been accused of. Uh, As far as the local media goes, so you'd have to ask them. I think that them not asking commanders, coaches, and players about Dan Snyder's alleged misconduct probably is a function of several things, among them the belief that the responses from coaches and players would be nothing but a bunch of no comments or comments saying that comments can't be given due to ongoing investigations. You got to remember the allegations specific to Dan Snyder are allegations. You and I can think what we want to think about his guilt or innocence, okay? I certainly have my opinions, but these are technically allegations and Dan does deny them. Robert Sarver, on the other hand, has admitted guilt. Uh, I do think that a reporter being super aggressive in asking coaches and players about the allegations against Dan Snyder might result in that reporter having his or her access restricted and or might result in that reporter not having stuff leaked or given to him or her. And I do think that a reporter being super aggressive in asking coaches and players about the allegations against Dan Snyder might result in a number of fans turning on that reporter. Because right or wrong, I think that a lot of fans just want to enjoy football and no longer have the appetite for this Dan Snyder stuff, especially considering that it doesn't feel like he's going anywhere. Now, there remains the wild card of the Mary Jo White investigation, and we are still awaiting the findings of that. But otherwise, the Dan Snyder stuff really has lost a lot of momentum. You know, it was on July 28th that Dan testified virtually before Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform regarding the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. We had this long-anticipated testimony from Dan Snyder. The testimony lasted for nearly 11 hours, and yet we still have heard basically nothing about that testimony. July 28th was nearly two full months ago now, and we still have heard next to nothing about that testimony. That the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, which in this entire ordeal has not been shy about releasing documents, still has given us nothing on Dan's testimony that took place on July 28th seems to say that the testimony 
was a big nothing burger. Now, maybe there is some big move that is coming from the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, okay? Like, we can't be 100% certain about this, but as things stand right now, it feels like that Dan Snyder testimony ended up being a big, fat nothing burger. And so when you combine that with the people who truly control Dan's fate as commander's owner, the other NFL owners, pretty clearly not wanting to oust Dan, Well, this entire Dan Snyder scenario feels like it's fading away. And so I think that that's a big part of why there's a big difference between his situation and the Robert Sarver situation. There's also this too. You know, Dan Snyder is very combative and he has fought in his entire ordeal every step of the way. Robert Sarver obviously has accepted being out as Suns and Mercury owner. Email from Brian in Southwest D.C. on the Commanders, writes Brian, Al, by definition, your audience has a strong attachment to D.C. sports and D.C. In general, those who gravitate to D.C. are at the top of our game, government, military, nonprofit, private sector, politics, etc. I say that only to highlight the audience. At what point do the catchphrases and locker room mantras fall on deaf ears? I gotta, we gotta do better, etc. I maintain your audience sees through the BS quicker than most. We are quicker to move on from those who constantly say these things when actions do not improve. You get my point. I would argue there is a shorter leash for using those phrases. Carson Wentz is burning his allotment quickly. Honestly, same with Ron Rivera. The lawyers may not allow it, but Wentz should just say, we skunk up in Detroit in the first half, full stop, no excuses. Sports are sports. Real life is real life. But I think the above is a dynamic that permeates all sports in D.C. Thank you for the pod. It continues to be great. Well, thank you for that, Brian. Uh, Interesting email. I think that what you're getting at is different for Carson Wentz than it is for Ron Rivera. Uh, Carson just got here. Ron is in his third season here. I did think that Carson talked about that uh, hideous first half in the loss at the Lions in a declarative, no excuses kind of way. Ron did too, to an extent. But, you know, with the defensive struggles, Ron clinging to those struggles being more of an execution of scheme thing than a scheme thing is rubbing a lot of people the wrong way. We're only two games into the team's 2022 regular season. So let's see some more of the season. Uh, but yeah, there is a uh, growing fatigue, especially with the defensive struggles. Well, if you have grown fatigued with your lawn not looking as you want it to look, contact Weedman. You see, Weedman cares for your lawn so that you don't have to. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great, fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. If you don't have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman take care of your lawn and take advantage of a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price in aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $219. Uh, that's about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. A beautiful spring lawn starts in the fall, so take advantage of this special offer and put Weedman to work for you. Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service 
that you deserve. Uh, Weedman answers your phone calls and emails promptly. Weedman does what it says that it's going to do. And all of that sounds simple, I know, and all of that is simple, but all of that isn't nearly as common as it should be. Uh, also, Weedman uses superior products that really improve your soil. Uh, Weedman's products are of the highest quality. Uh, Weedman does not cut corners, and Weedman only treats what needs to be treated. If you're not satisfied with your lawn, if you're not satisfied with who is treating your lawn, get with Weedman and take advantage of this special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price in aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $219. Again, about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. That phone number again, 571-340-3400. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so that you get the special deal. Uh, you could also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. We have a football game at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon. The 1-1 one one Commanders will host the 2-0 Philadelphia Eagles Sunday afternoon at 1. A chance for the Commanders to get off to a 2-1 start in a regular season for the first time since 2018. Uh, next segment, I'll talk Commanders defense. Right now, we talk Commanders offense. Uh, every offensive player on the Commander's 53-man roster was a full participant in practice on Thursday with the exception of one player, offensive lineman Sadiq Charles. Uh, he was a limited participant in practice for a second consecutive day due to a shoulder. But otherwise, every offensive player on the Commander's 53-man roster was a full participant in practice on Thursday, including Wes Schweitzer, who appears to be said to be the commander's starting center this Sunday afternoon. Uh, the commanders on Tuesday placed their top center, Chase Rulier, on the reserve injured list. Uh, Rulier suffered a reported right knee injury late in the fourth quarter of the loss at the Detroit Lions this past Sunday afternoon. Schweitzer for the loss at the Lions was inactive due to a left hamstring injury with which he dealt in the win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in week one. Remember the commander's second string center, or at least the player who was Washington's second string center last season, Tyler Larson, he is on the reserve physically unable to perform list. He has been on that since August 23rd due to an Achilles injury that he suffered in the loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field last December 12th. Uh, the commander's offensive line, as you may have heard, had issues in that loss at the Lions, who finished that game with five sacks and 11 quarterback hits. Now, not all of that was all on the offensive line, but still, I mean, that was not some banner performance by the commander's offensive line last Sunday afternoon. The Eagles, through two weeks of the 2022 regular season, number nine in the NFL in total defense, Pro Football Outsiders DVOA metric, number four in the NFL in pass defense per DVOA, but just number 29 in the NFL in run defense per DVOA. Commander's offensive coordinator Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon did a post-practice press conference. This was Scott on the commanders going from Chase Rulier to Wes Schweitzer as the team starting center. You know, the one thing, um, it's tough, you know, for Chase. I heard Carson talking about it. Uh, just, you know, Chase is such a good guy. He's worked so hard to come back from the injury from last year. So, you know, that part of it's very hard. Um, the one thing as far as just making that switch back to Wes is because Chase – 
you know, was kind of slow to come back. Carson's had a lot of work with Wes, and they've had a lot of communication. Wes has played center for us before. Um, so we it should be a smooth transition. Um, I'm glad Wes is, you know, now healthy again. Uh, but, you know, that we've had some experience, so it's not like a brand new guy coming in. Um, so that should help us uh, in that transition. So Washington signed Wes Schweitzer as an unrestricted free agent in March 2020. He was taken by the Atlanta Falcons in the sixth round of the 2016 NFL Draft out of San Jose State. He was with the Falcons from 2016 through 2019. His primary NFL experience is as a guard, but he has come to be an option at center for Washington. Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon on the growth of Wes Schweitzer as a center. He's really, you know, just in his in his past, he's been more of a he's been a guard center, like a play guard, be a backup center. You know, out of necessity, um, he had to play for us as center last year. Played very well. He's, you know, really a strong physical guy. So, you know, being being there, you know, in front of the quarterback is a strength. You know, and, and Chase is the same way. Um, but I think you know we've seen some smaller centers before where you know it's hard to hold that point of attack when you get a big nose. Where Wes is, you know, solid in there and, and can really hold the pocket. Now, the commanders on Tuesday, as the corresponding roster moved to placing Chase Roulier on the reserve injured list, signed unrestricted free agent center Nick Martin, who is an experienced center. Uh, He is the brother of longtime Dallas Cowboys right guard Zach Martin. Nick Martin was taken by the Houston Texans in the second round of the 2016 NFL Draft out of Notre Dame. He was the Texans starting center from 2017 through 2020, and he, over those four regular seasons, missed just two games. He started 62 games. Uh, Martin spent the 2021 regular season with the Las Vegas Raiders, but did not register any starts. Uh, The 2022 season would be his age 29 season. Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon on the role for Nick Martin with the Commanders. You know, we'll see. I mean, we just got him here. Today was his second practice with us. Um, you know, he's got to get up to speed and, and learn the offense. I'm excited to get him. He's someone that has kind of been on our radar, um, you know, for a little bit. And so just to get him in the building and um, we'll see, you know, where exactly he's going to fit as far as a contributor. I would think at least he'll be ready, um, you know, if it's not this game, you know, coming up soon as a uh, as a backup. Um, and then, you know, we'll go from there. But we're, we're excited about Wes being in there. And so not excited because Chase is out, but we feel great about Wes. You know, we think that we'll be able to do everything that we need to do on offense with him playing center. And of course, Wes Schweitzer will be snapping the football to quarterback Carson Wentz, who this Sunday afternoon will be facing the team that drafted him, the Eagles. Uh, we on Thursday's show, episode 405, went in-depth on Carson's comments at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon on facing the Eagles this Sunday afternoon. Here was Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon on what he has seen from Carson Wentz this week. Uh, you know, Carson's always really locked in. Uh, it's been business as usual. Um, you know, I heard where he said he's not trying to make it more than it is. Uh, and that's really how I see it. I mean, he he's approaching this um you know, as you would approach any other team. Obviously, we know that's not the case. I mean, you know, any everyone is a human being. You know, I've coached at different teams in this league, and I know how I feel when I get ready to go against some some of the teams that I've coached for, for before. And so, and I can I can only imagine it's you know. Uh, exemplified when it's against when you're a player. So um, I know there's going to be some of that, uh, but he's done a great job of just focusing on the task at hand, and that's getting ready for us to go play well, uh, move the ball, and score points. 
And the Commanders have been scoring points. The Commanders through week two of the 2022 regular season, number eight in the NFL in points per game at 27.5. A big reason for that have been the Commanders' skill position players. Uh, How great has it been to have a healthy Curtis Samuel, receiver Curtis Samuel, he in the 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in week one, had eight receptions for 55 yards and a touchdown on 11 targets and had four carries for 17 yards uh, in playing on 71% of the commander's offensive snaps. Now, he in the game did have a lost fumble, did also have a drop, but still very impactful was Curtis Samuel in week one. And then Curtis in the 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in week two had seven receptions for 78 yards and a touchdown on nine targets and had one carry for 21 yards and playing on 89% of the commander's offensive snaps. Curtis Samuel in the 2021 regular season played in just five of Washington's 17 games due to, of course, the most nagging groin injury in the history of groin injuries and also due to a hamstring injury. But he so far this season has been terrific. Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon on Curtis Samuel. You know, Curtis can do a lot of different things, as you guys have seen, um, and just having him out there. He's also, he brings energy, too, so not just a schematic deal, but just having another, you know, and it's just another guy that's going to go out there and make a bunch of plays, so um, very excited to have him back. I mean, you can see he's been getting the ball, um, you know, quite a bit, and, and some of that's by design, and some of that's just kind of how it's ended up, how the plays ended up um, in the progression, but, uh, you know, no, Curtis is a, a, a very good player, a very smart player. I've said that to you before, um, and it's a it's a big help to us uh, to have him back. Yeah, Curtis Samuel through two games in the 2022 regular season. It leads the Commanders with 15 receptions. He and receiver Terry McLaurin are tied for the team lead in receiving yards at 133. But leading the Commanders in touchdown receptions is rookie receiver Jahan Dodson. He has three touchdown catches. Uh, Jahan, in the win over the Jags in week one, in his NFL regular season debut, had three receptions for 40 yards and two touchdowns on five targets and playing on 88% of the commander's offensive snaps. Jahan, in the loss at the Lions in week two, had four receptions for 59 yards and a touchdown on five targets and playing on 99% of the commander's offensive snaps. Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon on Jahan Dotson as a route runner. Uh, you know, really good, uh, really good balance, um, body control, um, enables him to get in and out of things. I think, um, you know, he's a young player, uh, so, you know, has to learn to always, you know, play fast all the time. Um, but, you know, the thing that, you know, I the best way I would describe him is that he is always under control. And I think that's where why you have seen him make um, make those adjustments that he's made, you know, with the cat, you know, catching ball. Obviously, he has great hands, but because he plays with such a good, you know, control, um, he can he can make adjustments. You know, when you're flying and you you're not you know it's harder to do those types of things. Um, but no, he's got balance and quickness, um, and he's definitely a very good route runner. And he's only going to get better. You know, he's only played two games. So you heard Scott Turner say that Jahan Dodson is always under control. Uh, that's a great way of putting it. And so Scott on Thursday afternoon then got asked if Jahan always being under control is why he has been used as he has been used by Scott so far this season. No, I mean, you know, the I, I don't know. It's... Um Every everything's different, you know. It's not the control isn't what is able to have him p- 
play. It's everything. I mean, his maturity, um, you know, his work ethic, um, obviously the way he catches the ball, and then that adds to it. He's a talented player, but even there's a lot of very talented rookies that have taken them a little bit longer to, you know, play as many snaps or had the impact that Jahan's had. And it's early, you know, in two weeks, but um, just the the total package of who he is is, you know, is it enabled him to to jump right in and be be a big time contributor. Yeah, how about this about Jahan Dodson? He threw week two of the 2022 regular season, was number one among all qualified receivers in the NFL in DVOA, which is the football outsiders metric that I reference all the time. DVOA stands for Defense Adjusted Value Over Average. Uh, DVOA represents value per play over an average, in this case, receiver in the same game situations and is adjusted for opponent. Jahan Dotson through week two, <laughs> number one among all qualified receivers in the NFL in DVOA. I mean, not bad for a rookie who the commander supposedly overdrafted, right? At number 16 in the 2022 NFL draft. Uh, how about tight end Logan Thomas? Uh, so far, so good for him in his return from the torn left ACL, MCL, and meniscus that he suffered in the win at the Las Vegas Raiders last December 5th. Uh, Logan, in the win over the Jags at week one, had three receptions for 45 yards on six targets and playing on 62% of the commander's offensive snaps. Logan, in the loss at the Lions in week two, had three receptions for 37 yards and a touchdown on five targets in playing on 73% of the commander's offensive snaps. Scott Turner, on Thursday afternoon, on where Logan Thomas is at in terms of being the guy who Scott knows Logan can be. I don't know if I can put a percentage on it. I don't think he's all the way back, but it's close. And, uh, you know, he plays with so much heart and toughness that um, he's able to push through some of those things. He's played more snaps maybe than we anticipated he was going to be able to um, going into those first couple games. But he's been doing great, you know, and uh, we do a great job uh, with our training staff and our strength staff of, you know, monitoring his reps, uh, making sure we're not giving him or we're giving him what he needs during the week. Sometimes that's a little bit of rest. Sometimes it's giving him more work so he can push through and then recover and then be ready to go on Sunday. Um, and those guys do a great job of that. We're in constant communication and, and Logan does a great job of expressing um, how he's feeling. Uh, I think it's only going to be a matter of time before he's back to full force, but um, I think he's been playing pretty well at where he's at. Yeah, Logan Thomas so far in the 2022 regular season has played on 67.6% of the commander's offensive snaps. Uh, as I said earlier in the segment, the Eagles' pass defense so far this season has been great. Uh, corner Darius Slay in the Eagles' last game, the 24-7 win over the Minnesota Vikings this past Monday night, did a tremendous job on Vikings receiver Justin Jefferson. Slay versus Jefferson in that game for Pro Football Focus. Six targets, just one reception allowed and two interceptions. Uh, we have seen Darius Slay and Terry McLaurin have some intense battles in the past. Sunday afternoon would figure to be no different. It, to me, is very hard to see the Commanders winning a low-scoring game on Sunday afternoon. Now, this is the NFL, so you're conditioned to expect the unexpected, but the realistic path for a Commanders win over the Eagles would seem to feature the Commanders' offense having a good game. Like if the commander's defense has a good game and shuts down that Eagles offense, outstanding. But raise your hand if you are anticipating that. And so, you know, you think about, okay, this commander's passing offense against this Eagles pass defense that has been so good. How likely is the commander's passing offense thriving 
against this Eagles defense that so far this season has been very good against the pass. That is maybe the single biggest question for Sunday's Commanders-Eagles game. Well, some questions for you. Uh, Have you had a hard time losing weight? Uh, Have you perhaps lost weight, but then the weight came right back? If the answer to either question is yes, Dr. Matthew Mintz can help you. Dr. Matthew Mintz is a board-certified internal medicine physician and weight loss expert in Bethesda, Maryland. Dr. Mintz understands your frustration because he himself has struggled with being overweight. You see, there's a reason that most weight loss programs fail, and that's because the human body has evolved over time to prevent you from losing weight. And while these mechanisms were protective hundreds of years ago, today, these mechanisms just make weight loss extremely difficult. The solution is is medical weight loss. By using prescription medications that fight the factors that prevent weight loss, Dr. Matthew Mintz will help you achieve your weight loss goals. And not only will you lose the weight, but you'll keep the weight off. You see, Dr. Mintz does not use powders, shakes, or other special foods that you need to purchase. Instead, he uses prescription medications and personalized lifestyle changes, and he'll give you the support that you need to succeed. Dr. Matthew Mintz's medical weight loss program includes an initial in-person comprehensive evaluation, blood work, and a customized weight loss plan, in-person or virtual follow-up visits to keep you on track, a full year of phone calls and emails to answer questions or troubleshoot problems, and one year of prescription medications for weight loss. The good news is that many, if not all of these things, will be covered by or reimbursable through your insurance. Dr. Matthew Mintz, he has been in practice for over 25 years. He serves as clinical faculty at the George Washington University School of Medicine, and he is consistently ranked as a top doctor by Washingtonian Magazine. He is a huge Commanders fan and a loyal listener of the Al Galdi podcast. If you are ready to lose your excess weight the right way, find out more about Dr. Matthew Mintz's medical weight loss program by calling 855-646-8963. That's 855-646-8963. And make sure that you tell Dr. Mintz that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit drmintz.com. That's D-R-Mintz, M-I-N-T-Z.com. And click on medical weight loss. That's 855-646-8963 or drmintz.com. And make sure that you tell Dr. Mintz that Al Galdi sent you. What is going to happen with the commander's defense against the Philadelphia Eagles' uh, oh-so-potent offense this Sunday afternoon at FedEx Field? Commander's Eagles Sunday afternoon at 1. The commanders through week 2 of the 2022 regular season, number 28 in the NFL in total defense per football outsiders DVOA metric, number 20 in the NFL in pass defense per DVOA, number 31 i.e. next to last in the NFL in run defense per DVOA. The Eagles through week two of the 2022 regular season, number five in the NFL in total offense per DVOA, number six in the NFL in passing offense per DVOA, and number three in the NFL in rushing offense 
per DVOA. The matchup does not seem to be ideal, uh, and the commanders are dealing with a number of injuries with the defensive line. So out, of course, are edge defender Chase Young and interior defensive lineman Fedarian Mathis. Uh, Chase is on the reserve physically unable to perform list on which he was placed on August 23rd as he is recovering from the torn right ACL that he suffered in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field last November 14th. Mathis is on the reserve injured list. He was placed on that on September 12th due to a left knee injury, a reported torn left meniscus that he suffered in the first quarter of the win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in week one. Uh, Mathis underwent surgery on September 16th. Uh, Edge defender Casey Tuhill, uh, he on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to a concussion that he suffered in the loss at the Detroit Lions in week two. Interior defensive lineman Daniel Wise on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to a high ankle sprain that he suffered in the loss at the Lions. Uh, Also, edge defender James Smith-Williams. He was a new addition to the commander's injury report for Thursday as he was listed as having been a limited participant in practice on Thursday due to an abdominal ailment. Uh, The good news is that every other defensive player on the commander's 53-man roster was a full participant in practice on Thursday, including safety Cameron Curl. So he seems set to play. Uh, Curl, for the loss at the Lions, was inactive for a second consecutive game due to a right thumb injury that he suffered in the preseason loss at the Kansas City Chiefs on August 20th. Commander's defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio, a.k.a. JDR, uh, he on Thursday afternoon did a post-practice press conference. Uh, This was Jack on where he believes the commander's defense is at versus where he would like for the defense to be. Yeah, I think we're um, growing, uh, developing, you know, you know, the last couple of weeks haven't gone, you know, exactly like we'd like. There are some really good moments in each of the ball games. I think uh, there are some things that we'll certainly learn from and, and do a lot better going forward. So I like the group. The group's working really hard. Um, you know, I, I think we've had a, a good time kind of putting it all together. And uh, I expect us to play better football, you know. So we're, you know, from things that haven't gone well, you kind of teach, correct, move on and then here we are preparing for a very good team and um you're looking forward to having them come into our place and um looking forward to playing really good football what is so amazing about the commander's defensive struggles so far this regular season is that the one thing that we were all perhaps most concerned about the third down defense has been a strength the commanders held the jags and the lions to a combined seven of 25 on third downs. Third down defense has not been the problem. Uh, The giving up of explosive plays and the run defense have been the primary problems. So Jack Del Rio, uh, as we have discussed, usually goes out of his way at his post-practice Thursday press conferences to say nothing. Uh, That was not the case, however, the previous Thursday afternoon, September 15th. Uh, Jack, during that press conference, was quite critical of linebacker Jamin Davis, Uh, not in a nasty way, but in a matter-of-fact way. Uh, Then head coach Ron Rivera, during his post-game press conference this past Sunday, was critical of Jamin. Uh, Then Jamin, on Monday on his Instagram, had a since-deleted post of a video from the movie Django Unchained talking about people being ungrateful, although Jamin on Thursday said that he meant nothing by that post, uh, that he was just joking around, that he and Jack Del Rio actually had a good laugh about the post, and that 
he and Jack are good. So it was good to hear that uh, from Jamin Davis. But the point is that Jack, the previous Thursday afternoon, had no problem evaluating Jamin Davis publicly. Now, I happen to think that Jack did this to motivate Jamin as opposed to just Jack being, you know, outspoken or being a jerk or anything like that. I think that what Jack said the previous Thursday afternoon was calculated. But anyway, Jack on Thursday afternoon of this week uh, got asked about corner William Jackson III, who is off to a rough start. Uh, William Jackson III's overall grade for pro football focus through two games of the 2022 regular season is just 54.5. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Jack on Thursday afternoon was asked how he feels William Jackson III has played so far this season. Here was Jack's answer. Yeah, I think he's done okay. I, I I don't really want to sit and evaluate our players, you know, each week. So you know, I'm gonna you know start nipping that a little bit. I mean, um, our job is to prepare for the next opponent. I mean, we'll, we can talk a little bit, you know, generally about things like that. I think overall, I think our group is playing well. I think Will's playing well. I think we're gonna play better as we go, and um, and so that's where we are. So how about that from Jack Del Rio, quote, I don't really want to sit and evaluate our players each week, so I'm going to start nipping that a little bit, end quote. Uh, Maybe Jack got a talking to about what he said about Jamin Davis. Maybe what Jack said about Jamin was a calculated attempt to motivate Jamin, and Jack has no interest in doing that for other players. But that did stand out from Jack Del Rio on Thursday afternoon, off again how he talked about Jamin Davis the previous Thursday afternoon, uh, but a big spot for Jack Del Rio's commander's defense this Sunday afternoon against the Eagles. Well, one of the biggest decisions that you can ever make is to buy a home. And so who you go with as your real estate agent matters a lot. And the person to go with if you're wanting to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area is Kellen Hunt. Uh, Now is the time to buy a home in the D.C. area because the rise in mortgage rates is being offset big time by a decrease in prices. And so visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. I read to you from D.C. Urban Turf, quote, inventory has bottomed out in the region with big increases in the availability of both single-family detached homes and townhomes in many local markets, end quote. Now is the time to buy, especially with rents going up. And when it comes to getting a deal done to buy the Washington, D.C. area home that you want, ain't nobody better than Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt understands the Washington, D.C. area real estate market, and he is here for you to listen to what you want, no matter your situation in life, whether you're a first-time buyer looking for guidance, or you have a young family looking for a bigger home, or you're ready to retire and or are looking to downsize. Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people. He's a great guy, and he will listen to you. He's not just some know-it-all. He works for you. He takes in what you're looking for and then gets to work, and Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit CloseItWithKell.com. 
com. That's close it with Kel, K-E-L-L dot com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. That's close it with Kel dot com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit close it with Kel dot com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. All right, the one and one commander, so it's the two and oh Philadelphia Eagles this Sunday afternoon at one. Time now for some intel on the Eagles, and for that, I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, Sean Green. Uh, he is a co-host of the Sports Gambling Podcast, one of the biggest and most successful sports gambling podcasts in the country. He also is a co-host of the Die Hard Eagles podcast. Uh, you can follow Sean on Twitter, at Sean T. Green, and he has the perfect last name as both a sports gambling guy and an Eagles fan, Green. Uh, hey, Sean, how are you? Great, man. Uh, thanks. And uh, yeah, I mean, everyone uh, talked a bunch of trash on the NFC East, but uh, hey, we're tied for the most wins right now as a division in the NFL. So we have that going for us. <laughs> we'll take that, no doubt. Uh, so I know how you Eagles fans are. You like to complain about everything. <laughs> Here we are. Uh, the Eagles are 2-0. and oh. The offense looks great. Jalen Hurts may be blossoming into a franchise quarterback. Uh, the defense just ravaged the Minnesota Vikings in a 24-7 win on Monday Night Football. Is there anything to complain about with your Eagles right now? Oh, yeah. Well, first off, the uh, the offensive line penalties have been really annoying, really bad. I mean, we should have put up more than 24 against the Vikings. I I, I busted my chops of uh, some of my co-hosts because after that week one uh, win against the Lions, people, you know, in the Philadelphia media, the fans were acting like we lost, like we got blown out. It was uh, – I was really surprised. I mean, I, I think the Lions are going to be a better team than most people thought, and I think they're a competitive team. I, I think we're going to look back on this season and say, hey, that, that win in Detroit actually wasn't a bad win. I wasn't super high on the lines, but their line play, to me, that was really surprising. Even uh, even though they're missing a bunch of linemen, uh, they were they were able to push people around, and, and I, I'm sure you saw that uh, when they played the Commanders as well. Like they, they really did well at the line of scrimmage. That was certainly surprising. Yeah, the Commanders got embarrassed in the first half of their loss at the Detroit Lions last Sunday afternoon. Lost that first half 22-0. Uh, so with Jalen Hurts, he really is playing at a high level. Do you think that we are seeing him emerge as a true stud quarterback? Yeah, you know, I, I've, I've been on, I've been high on Jalen Hurts um, for a while now. And, and I think what he brings to the table is every year he's gotten better as a passer. You know, whether it's from Alabama to Oklahoma Oklahoma to Philadelphia from year one to year two he got better as a passer even I think as year two went along he seemed to improve the guy has like an unmatched work ethic so I was I was really high on him coming into the season uh you know and a lot of the critiques of Jalen Hurts he's kind of already answered again small sample size but hey he can't roll out to his left he can't see the entire field he can't hit the deep ball uh you know back-to-back games with 50-yard touchdown passes he really you know that Monday night game uh really really felt like him kind of knocking his game up a notch and he did it with, you know, with looking to pass first, which I think was another uh, big criticism, at, at least of early on. So, yeah, he, he really seems to be looking good here. Again, two games in, so I don't want to get too, too excited, but very happy so far with the results. 
The Eagles took Jalen Hurts in the second round of the 2020 NFL Draft. They have had opportunities to pursue other quarterbacks since then, but this is year three for him as a starting quarterback for the Eagles. How committed are the Eagles to Jalen Hurts? Yeah, you know, uh, in the offseason, the Eagles were linked to Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson. As an Eagles fan, I, I kept, um, you know, arguing that, hey, let's let's ride it out another year with Jalen Hurts. Uh, you know, how he did some great dealing, had, got us two first round picks for next year. So certainly a ton of options. I don't know if if management was completely sold on him. I mean, certainly in the offseason, they were kicking the tires on some big name quarterbacks. So I don't know if they were completely sold. Also, I think, you know, the fact that they drafted him as a backup quarterback, as a second round pick, I think at the back of their head, they don't think he's the guy per se. But I think you you mentioned Howie and Nick. I think Nick Sirianni does think he's the guy. And I think he is kind of all in on him. Now, I think Howie Roseman um, is probably the one that's, you know, you have to convince the most. But, you know, from what I've heard, Jeffrey Lurie is all in on Jalen Hurts and, and Howie is kind of the lone dissenter there. Uh, but again, you know, Howie was there at the game. He saw what he was doing. So I think they gave him this year as a prove it year and, and he's proven it so far. What has stood out to you about receiver A.J. Brown over his first two regular season games with the Eagles? I mean, just one, the, the massive catch radius. Like, it, he he picked a ball off uh, the floor, essentially, against the Lions. And I go, oh, man, if, he is, if he's catching that, this guy can catch anything. So in the same way that I think he helped Ryan Tannehill as a passer, I think he's already doing that with Jalen Hurts. I mean, Jalen Hurts didn't need much help in game two, but game one, uh, even some balls that weren't super accurate, having a guy like Jalen Hurts that can track the – or. Uh, A.J. Brown that can track the ball so well and, you know, with those massive long arms, great runs uh, after the catch. And, you know, Jalen Hurts hasn't had a ton of luck completing over the middle of the field, but, you know, uh, A.J. Brown on those slants has really given them a nice option. So, I mean, I couldn't be more happy. And and that debut game against the Lions, it, it reminded me of T.O. I, I can't remember a time where we had such a, like, clear, dominant receiver. The Eagles cast the skill position players beyond A.J. Brown seems to be quite good. Is that how you see it? Yeah, I mean, Devonta Smith, again, quiet game in Detroit, didn't have a catch. I think some of that was scheme. Uh, Some of that was just what they were getting uh, matchup-wise. And then, you know, they went out of their way, I think, to force feed him on Monday night. He he caught the bell well. Uh, you know, Miles Sanders, again, his biggest issue has been staying healthy. So, you know, knock on wood, he's done that so far. Uh, Dallas Goddard has looked sharp. I mean, you know, coming into the season, I was really high on their, their roster overall. Um, I think the biggest question, quite frankly, was Jalen and, and what his ceiling would be. Uh, so far, it's, it seems to be looking pretty good. But, the you know, the rest of the skill players are pretty solid in Philly. And you can make a pretty easy case that they have one of the more talented skill players in the league as, as a core. Yeah, it does feel that way for sure. Uh, We're talking Commander's Eagles with Sean Green, co-host of the Sports Gambling Podcast and co-host of the Die Hard Eagles Podcast. Uh, The Eagles defense gave up some stuff late in the 38-35 win at the Detroit Lions in Week 1, then was dominant in that 24-7 win over the Minnesota Vikings on Monday Night Football in Week 2. How are you feeling about the Eagles defense right now? 
The Eagles' defense has been interesting. I mean, that Detroit debut was a little frustrating. Uh, Jonathan Gannon wasn't calling enough pressure. There was some tackling issues. But again, Monday night at home, I, I think they really cleaned it up. Um, you know, maybe there's a little bit of concern, you know, big Monday night win, short week, you're going on the road. I think the fact that it's a division game and obviously the, you know, the sinking back up against uh, Commander Carson, I think the team will get up for it. And then, yeah, Darius Slays, he's had three interceptions already, one for a touchdown. He's looked great. Um, you know, as long as we stay aggressive defensively with the play calling, I'll feel pretty good. I think what frustrates Eagles fans is when we sit back or, you know, uh, when we have like some of these, like Hassan Reddick, who we brought in as a pass rusher, and Jonathan Gannon has him out there as a coverage linebacker. That kind of stuff gets annoying. So schematically, there's some stuff that's that's frustrating at times. But uh, overall, yeah, good start for the defense. All right. Well, you mentioned him, Commander Carson, <laughs> Carson Wentz. Uh, five seasons with the Eagles, 2016 through 2020. Uh, we, as Commanders fans, have spent the last six months discussing and dissecting this guy. I want to leave this open-ended for you. As a hardcore Eagles fan, you hear Carson Wentz, and you think what? Well, you know, there's there's two different thoughts there. There's one, current-day Carson, and what Carson did for the franchise overall, because I do think his run in 2017, if, if he doesn't set them up for having home field advantage in those playoffs, I, I don't think Nick Foles gets it done. I mean, you go back and walk through those games. Like, if they had to go on the road for some of those games or if they didn't have home field advantage in the NFC Championship game, I don't know if they, they pull it out. So indebted to Carson Wentz for getting us the Super Bowl. But now that he's going up, uh, you know, that he's suiting up a commander's uh, uniform, I, I wish him the worst of luck. Um, I think he's a very talented quarterback. He's also very stubborn. Uh, he's stubborn when it comes to not wanting to take hard coaching. He's stubborn when it comes to like letting a play die that he should. I mean, you, you saw it probably in the Lions game where he's sitting back there. And even my internal play clock, just as a football fan, is throw the ball. And he holds on to it for a little bit too long. And that's where the strip sacks come. But to his credit, he still has a cannon of an arm. He sees the field pretty well. And you know, Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel, like there's going to be opportunities for him. And he seems to be, you know, doing it so far. He's what top of the top three in the league in uh, passing yards, you know, tied for most passing touchdowns as well. So he still has a, a high ceiling there. He just doesn't, the, the stubbornness I think is the thing that jumps out the most as the, as a fan and as someone who's been watching him a ton, like he just, refuses to kind of adjust and speed up his internal play clock. So as we know, Carson Wentz in the 2017 season played at an MVP level. He then in December 2017 suffered the torn left ACL, missed the rest of that Eagles 2017 season, which of course resulted in them winning the Super Bowl. We then had this supposed jealousy slash resentment from Carson toward Nick Foles, who of course a quarterback to the Eagles to that Super Bowl title. Is this truly where things went wrong for Carson Wentz with the Eagles? Yeah, I mean, again, I think in as someone who watched him in that 2017 season before and then watching him after, I think that injury 
really, really hurt him. Uh, not only just physically, because he did lose. He he had like an extra level of explosiveness, uh, escapability out of the pocket. If you'll recall that one game, I, I think it was against the uh, you know then Redskins, where he was like completely bottled up and then yeah. broke out. Like he lost that like elite elite uh, athletic ability uh, post ACL, and he never really adjusted his game to recap for that. I think if he would have realized, hey, I'm more of a pocket passer, that could have been. Uh, certainly a huge addition for him but really i i do think it was a lot mental with carson um you mentioned how he was kind of jealous of Foles. i think you know he was the guy everyone was team carson and then nick Foles comes in and they build a statue outside of the stadium so your backup quarterback has a statue outside of the stadium i think that got in his head and i think when it started going really bad for carson or just in any situation he pressed and that's what you can't do as a quarterback. You know, in 2017, when he was dominating early on, he was in rhythm. He was relaxed back there. Um, it post Nick Foles and post the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, it felt like he was trying to win the Super Bowl with every play. Like every play was just go back and scramble around and make these crazy plays. And it's just not sustainable. And I think it eventually just caught up with him. And then when you're losing, uh, you know, it's easy to lose the locker room. Nick Foles was also a very popular guy so i think it just kind of all um you know avalanched on him and his time in philadelphia and then him asking out of philly i mean even before he asked out i think there was a a decent portion of the fan base and even howie roseman and eagles leadership that probably would have wanted to keep him and, and try and figure it out i mean i do think that's why they got rid of doug peterson before they got rid of carson wentz i think they did that as a move to be like hey let's reset let's figure it out uh, and then Carson still wanted out after they got rid of Doug Peterson. And then that's really where I, I think as Eagles fans, it's like, dude, we backed you through a lot and you're going to, you're going to want to ask out uh, of the city. So no love laws currently between Eagles fans and Wentz. Okay. You just hit on something that's key, but that hasn't always been made clear. Carson Wentz asked out of Philadelphia. The Eagles weren't necessarily going to get rid of Carson. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, essentially, once it became known that Frank Reich would be willing to trade for him, uh, he he basically essentially asked to be let go and asked to be traded. Um, and I think he thought like, oh, OK, Frank Reich, he coaches me the right way. Uh, I can kind of this is a soft landing. The indie uh, media won't roast me as hard as Philly. And then he gets to Indy and, you know, it's going okay. But clearly, again, like they tried to limit his ability and just feed Jonathan Taylor, limit his passing attempts, uh, especially in the second half of the season. And then he, you know, uh, the Jags game is a great example of the bad side of Carson Wentz where, you know, they get down early and instead of just, you know, trying to trying to play through their offense as they how they should, he just really pressed force a lot of plays i mean you yeah i don't know if you guys have seen it yet but like the where he's like going down to get sacked and then tries to throw the ball away with his left hand um you know that kind of stuff just submarines a season so that's that's kind of where it ends uh for carson yeah we haven't seen a left-handed throw yet but we're all we're all anticipating that exactly you know i had to laugh watching the indianapolis colts carson wentz replacement matt ryan struggle as he did in that Colts 24 nothing loss at the Jacksonville Jaguars last Sunday afternoon. Boy, there is something about Jacksonville to where the Colts just do not play well there. We were all over the uh, Jags' money line uh, last week because the Jags, they haven't won 
or sorry, the Colts haven't won in Jacksonville since like 2014. It's yeah, crazy. It's so, nuts. Uh, you know, there's been great opportunities to, to fade the Colts in Jacksonville. One more on Carson Wentz. So there was the Nick Foles thing, and then there also was the Jalen Hurts thing that Carson did not take well to the Eagles spending a 2020 second round pick on Hurts, correct? Totally, yeah, and I and I kind of forgot to to get to that in the um, in in you know kind of explaining the psychology. But you're right, that was another big thing, and and the the meat, you know, the Philly brass really should have seen that coming, knowing that they had just gotten out of this weird QB controversy with Foles, and then you spend a second round pick again. In their mind, they were they were just drafting a high level backup because Carson had missed games. Uh, instead, Jalen Hurts comes in there with a ton of confidence, and by all accounts, he carried himself like a starting quarterback in that locker room. And again, I think that that wore on Carson and created some added to some already insecurities he may have had as a quarterback. And uh, again, I think just the fact that they spent that much draft capital on him, it was uh, you know it really was the beginning of the end for him. Last one for you: the Eagles' executive vice president and general manager Howie Roseman. He, from afar, seems to have done a really good job. Is that how you see it? Well, you know, uh, it, it depends on when you ask. Because, again, Philly sports fans really up and down. I've definitely called for them to fire Howie Roseman. I mean, you know, that Monday night game, leading up to that Monday night game, it was all, they drafted Jalen Rager instead of Justin Jefferson. And so the, you know, there's there's picks like that that he clearly whiffs on. Uh, but then there's guys like Jordan Mailata, a guy who was essentially, what, a seventh-round pick, a guy who had never even seen a football, never played competitive football and they've turned him into a franchise left tackle. So, uh, And he's great at trades. Again, the trade for Darius Slade, the trade for A.J. Brown, the way he manipulates the cap. I mean, you know, we've seen other teams in the division. Uh, shout out to the Cowboys who have to get rid of good players because they don't manage the cap well. And Howie's always been on top of that. So I'm I'm 100% in on Team Howie right now. Uh, but, you know, if, if things start unraveling, maybe he gets a little heat. I think as far as like the roster he's put together so far this season and you throw in the fact that we get an extra pick from the Dolphins or, or the Saints for next year, it's it, it's really tough to complain. Yeah, it seems like Howie Roseman has done a really good job. And I guess we can agree uh, that we both hate the Dallas Cowboys. So we have that in common. That's a good exactly. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Sean Green, uh, co-host of the Sports Gambling Podcast and co-host of the Die Hard Eagles Podcast. Sean, good to catch up, man. Thanks a lot for your time. Yep. Appreciate it, man. Go Birds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not quite. Not on this podcast. Uh, up next, my rhyming keys for a commander's win over the Eagles this Sunday afternoon. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for subscribing. Uh, Do not forget to give the podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And if you are really feeling generous, if you're really in a nice mood, uh, please write a brief review of the podcast saying that you like it. Uh, You can do that on Apple Podcasts. Well, we all felt so good off the Commander's 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in Week 1. Then came the 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in Week 2. So what about Week 3? 1-1 one one Commanders versus the 2-0 Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. How do the Commanders come away with a victory. How do the Commanders pull off the win over a hot team in the Eagles? Uh, My friends, it is that time, the time to rhyme. It is time for rhyming keys, my keys to a Commander's victory in rhyming fashion. Oh, these rhymes, they are not meant to be good. Uh, They are only meant to make a few points. And in fact, I have a saying for this segment, the worse the rhyme, the better the time. And so here we go. Hardcore analysis combined with scheduled fun. Rhyming keys for a commander's win over the Eagles. How do the commanders win this game? We now rhyme the ways. Rhyming key number one. This is for commander's quarterback Carson Wentz. Do good work. Unlike Kirk. I'm a little bit more process oriented. Yes, thank you, Kirk. Uh, What the Eagles in their 24-7 win over the Minnesota Vikings this past Monday night did to Vikings quarterback, and yes, former Redskins quarterback Kirk Cousins, uh, was not very nice, okay? Kirk in that game, one touchdown pass versus three interceptions. He threw for just 221 yards over 46 pass attempts. That works out to a microscopic yards per pass attempt of just 4.8. We all get the storyline for Carson Wentz this Sunday afternoon. He is facing the team that drafted him and with which he spent five seasons and with which he had an ugly departure, the Eagles. Okay, fine. Uh, Carson, in his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon, talked about treating this game like any other game. Uh, You know that this isn't just any other game for him, but I would like to think that he's going to have his emotions in check come Sunday. You know, I would like to think that Carson is not going to be like a nervous wreck come Sunday afternoon. The truth is that Carson Wentz has been playing well. Uh, Yes, there have been some bad stretches, but he, for the most part, is playing well. Carson Wentz, through week two of the 2022 regular season, number 14 among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR at 51.7, number eight among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in yards per pass attempt at 747, number 12 among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in completion percentage at 65.5, number two in the NFL in passing yards at 650, and tied for number one in the NFL 
in touchdown passes at seven. If we on Sunday afternoon get the Carson Wentz, who we have seen overall over the first two regular season games, then the Commanders can win this game. But the Eagles, through two weeks of the 2022 regular season, number four in the NFL in pass defense, per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Uh, the Eagles' pass defense has been good. Uh, just ask Kirk Cousins. Rhyming key number one for Carson Wentz, do good work, unlike Kirk. Rhyming key for Commander's Eagles, number two. This is for the Commander's defense. Don't be failing in your discipline with Jalen. Hey, I told you that these rhymes are not meant to be good. Uh, Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts, he threw week two of the 2022 regular season, number seven among all qualified NFL quarterbacks in total QBR at 70.8, and number one among all qualified NFL quarterbacks in yards per pass attempt at 9.14. He has been outstanding. He also scorched Washington last season. Uh, The 27-17 loss at the Eagles last December 21st, Washington allowed Jalen Hurts to go 20 of 26 for 296 yards. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of 11.38. He had a touchdown pass versus an interception, and he had eight carries for 38 yards and two touchdowns. Washington did have three sacks. But the 2016 loss to the Eagles at FedEx Field last January 2nd, Washington allowed Jalen Hurts in that game to go 17 of 26 for 214 yards. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of 8.23. Hurts in that game, no touchdown passes, no interceptions. He only got sacked once, and he had seven carries for 44 yards, 6.29 yards per carry. Jalen Hurts had his way against Washington last season, and now Hurts appears to have taken his game as a passer to another level, and he remains ultra-dangerous as a runner. Commanders head coach Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon emphasized one word for defending Jalen Hurts, discipline. Take a listen. Well, the first challenge he presents is that every time he has the ball in his hands, it's a run-pass option. And so that's the thing you've got to be able to do. With him, it's all about discipline. That's one of the big emphasis this, this, this week is just discipline. Discipline in your assignment. Uh, discipline in how we want you to do your assignment. And we'll continue to focus on discipline against this football team and this football player. Yes, keyword discipline. Uh, one of the things that has really gotten Washington defenses in trouble the last two seasons is lack of discipline, including lack of rush discipline. It is imperative that the commanders on Sunday afternoon play with discipline, play with attention to detail. Let's be honest, this game has the potential to be a blowout loss for the commanders. If they do not play with discipline against Jalen Hurts, if the commanders abandon rush lanes, if the commanders give up contain, then Jalen Hurts is going to scorch Washington just as he did twice last season. And so rhyming key number two, this is for the commander's defense, do not be failing in your discipline with Jalen. Rhyming key for commander's eagles number three, uh, this also is for the commander's defense, do not again get clowned by a receiver named Brown. Uh, What receiver Amonra St. Brown did to the Commanders in their 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions last Sunday afternoon really was something. He had nine receptions for 116 yards and two touchdowns on 12 targets, and he had two carries 
for 68 yards, and he, since the end of the game, has clowned the Commanders in multiple ways. First, in saying that the Lions knew that the Commanders' defense didn't handle bunch formations well, and then in mocking Commanders receiver Diami Brown, who in the game played on just one Commander's offensive snap despite having been taken 30 spots ahead of St. Brown in the 2021 NFL Draft. Washington took Diami Brown with pick number 82 in the 2021 Draft. The Lions took Amon Ross St. Brown with pick number 112 in the 2021 Draft. Uh, well, we go from Amon Ross St. Brown to Eagles receiver A.J. Brown. Uh, the Eagles this past April 28th acquired receiver A.J. Brown from the Tennessee Titans, then signed him to a big money contract extension, a four-year, $100 million contract extension that included $40 million guaranteed at signing. A.J. Brown, over two games in the 2022 regular season, 15 receptions for 224 yards on 21 targets. You know, Jalen Hurts has 44 completions. 15 of them have been to A.J. Brown. Uh, The commanders have got to get better play from their secondary. A.J. Brown is a big test. Rhyming key number three, this for the commander's defense. Do not again get clowned by a receiver named Brown. And one more, it is uh, number four. Rhyming key for commander's eagles number four. This is for the entire commander's team. If FedEx Field is in fact filled with green, know that a win can eventually change that scene. Uh, I do expect a lot of Eagles fans to be at FedEx Field on Sunday. You could argue that Eagles fans, more than any other of the many opposing team fan bases that have taken over FedEx Field, have been the most prolific fan base at taking over FedEx Field. You know, Richmond.com this week had a story of a Philadelphia group that is bringing 20 buses of Eagles fans to FedEx Field. 20 buses! Uh, Few things in Washington, D.C. sports are more depressing than when FedEx Field gets overtaken by an opposing team's fan base. I mean, that is a reminder of so many of the things that have gone wrong and have been wrong with our football team. And, you know, the phenomenon of FedEx Field being overtaken by opposing team's fans, that probably is not going to be changing anytime soon. So if you are the commanders, all that you realistically can do is win, okay? Just win And hopefully over time, the winning will compel more of your own fans to go to your home games. Uh, A win over the Eagles this Sunday afternoon is exactly the kind of win that this team needs to start providing to its fans on a regular basis. NFC East opener, a chance to get to 2-1 and for the first time in four regular seasons. This is a game that, again, has the potential to be a blowout loss. Can you manipulate it into being an uplifting win. Rhyming key number four, this for the entire commander's team. If FedEx Field is in fact filled with green, know that a win can eventually change that scene. All right, it is prediction time. The commanders per win bet as of a very early Friday morning are plus six and a half. You know, the public money for this game is actually pretty evenly split. I am surprised by that. I really thought that the Eagles would be a popular public play. The NFL is a funny league. Uh, When you think that you've got it figured out, it turns out that you do not have the league figured out. I am going to take the Commanders plus the six and a half. Uh, You know, I think every fiber of your being says, hey, the Eagles probably are the play here. 
That's not the NFL, man, okay? When you think you know, you don't know. Commanders plus the six in a hook. Returning safety, Cameron Curl has a key interception. Commanders 31, Eagles 27. All right, let us now get to college football. We, on Thursday night, had a game for Virginia Tech, which was home to West Virginia. The Hokies had a chance for their first win over a non-conference Power 5 conference team at a game since September 3rd, 2017, when Tech defeated then-number 22 West Virginia 31-24 at FedEx Field. Uh, Thursday night, historically, has been good for Virginia Tech. The Hokies entered the game at 23-10, all-time on ESPN's Thursday Night Football. West Virginia entered the game just 1-2 this season, but the game ended up being a disaster for the Hokies. Virginia Tech fell to 2-2 overall with a 33-10 loss to West Virginia at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia on Thursday night. The Hokies led in the second quarter 7-3, then lost the rest of the game 33. Tech was a mess in this game. Tech had 15 accepted penalties for 132 yards. Tech got outgamed by West Virginia 421-228. Tech went just 2 of 10 on third downs. And understand, this happened against a West Virginia team that had not been good defensively so far this season. Here was Hokies head coach Brent Pry during his postgame press conference on Thursday night. You know, obviously disappointed. You know, we just, we didn't play complimentary football. And we're, we're at a point right now as a team, we have to do that. You know, we can't leave too much to overcome in any phase. And, uh, you know, we just kind of You know, either we weren't making them earn it or we were shooting ourselves in the foot a little bit. So, you know, we've got to we got to own it and we got to be better in a bunch of areas. Um, And we can be. That's the encouraging thing. That's a good football team. I don't want to take anything away from West Virginia. Uh, I thought they probably played their best game of the season. And they've got uh, they've got a pretty good football team, got some good skill. And, uh, you know, we play a cleaner, smarter game. You know, it's, I think it was 16-10 in the fourth there. Going into the fourth, we, we got a chance, and we didn't play very well. No, you did not. Uh, the Hokies' new starting quarterback, Marshall transfer Grant Wells, was not good. He completed just 16 of his 35 pass attempts. He threw for just 193 yards. He had one touchdown versus one interception. Things are not going well for Grant Wells. He threw four games this season now, has five touchdown passes versus five interceptions and a yards per pass attempt of just 6.44. The Hokies running game did nothing. Running backs Jalen Holston and Keyshawn King combined for 10 carries for just 22 yards. Uh, This was off the Hokies running game being disappointing in Tech's previous game, that uh, underwhelming 27-7 win over an FCS team in Wofford at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg last Saturday. Uh, In that game, we had running backs Jalen Holston, Chance Black, and Bryce Duke combining for 37 carries for 136 yards and a touchdown. That works out to just 3.68 yards per carry. Now, King on Thursday night was back off having missed the win over Wofford due to an injury that he suffered in the 27-10 win over Boston College at Lane Stadium on September 10th. But the Hokies running game right now does not look very good. This was Brent Pride during his postgame press conference on Thursday night on why Tech 
is struggling to run the ball. Yeah, I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, I, I'm disappointed, but I'm also surprised. I really thought we'd be able to run the ball a little bit better. Uh, we changed up the plan a little bit and spread it out a little bit more to run it tonight and had some motions involved. And, but we got to look at it. I mean, we we got to be able to run the football. It makes it so much more difficult to play defense. So I think we got a passing game that can, can work pretty good for us, can function. Um, but we've got to complement it with the run game. Yeah, and then the Hokies' defense on Thursday night. Look, the pass defense wasn't bad, but the Hokies' run defense had problems. Tech allowed West Virginia's C.J. Donaldson, Justin Johnson Jr., and Tony Mathis to combine for 43 carries for 227 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Virginia Tech is just not a very good team right now. Next up for the Hokies at North Carolina on Saturday, October 1st. All right, let us now get to Goldilocks, my previews and picks against the spreads for games played by Maryland, Navy, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. Uh, as I discussed last segment, we had a game on Thursday night. Uh, that game did not go so well for Virginia Tech. So the record for Goldilocks so far this season is a not-so-good 4-8. and eight. We got to do better. We will do better. So here we go. Goldilocks for the rest of week four of the 2022 college football season. All point spreads are from WinBed and are as of very early Friday morning. Goldilocks game number one, Maryland at number four, Michigan, Saturday at noon. The Terrapins are plus 16 and a half. Uh, the Terps improved to 3-0 and with a 34-27 win over SMU at Maryland Stadium in College Park last Saturday night. Uh, the Terps overcame a 27-20 fourth quarter deficit, won the fourth quarter 14-0, won the game despite having an astounding 15 accepted penalties for 141 yards. Uh, Terps quarterback Talia Tungavailoa was extremely efficient for a second consecutive game. He went 17-23 for 214 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. He took two sacks. Uh, Terps running back Roman Hemby had an impressive game, 16 carries for 151 yards and a touchdown, 9.44 yards per carry, and he had four receptions for 62 yards. Uh, the Terps' defense overall did a pretty good job against an SMU team that through week two was number 15 in the FBS in offensive efficiency for ESPN for the 2022 season. And the Terps' defense did well against a quarterback in Tanner Mordecai, who through week two was number 11 among qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR for the 2022 season. Now, the Terps did allow SMU to amass 520 total net yards of offense, and to go 10-21 on third down. So this wasn't like a dominant performance by the Terps defense, but the Terps ultimately for the game held Mordecai to just 29 of 54 passing. That works out to a completion percentage of just 53.7. And the Terps held Mordecai to just 369 yards over his 54 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 6.83. And the Terps generated two interceptions and two sacks. Uh, Mordecai did have three touchdown passes. Uh, the Michigan Wolverines are 3-0 and and have scored at least 51 points in each of the team's three games, a 51-7 route of Colorado State, a 56-10 win over Hawaii, and a 
59-0 blanking of UConn. Michigan through week three for the 2022 season was number four in the FBS in ESPN's College Football Power Index, was number two in the FBS in overall efficiency for ESPN, was number 11 in the FBS in offensive efficiency for ESPN, was number three in the FBS in defensive efficiency for ESPN, and was number 10 in the FBS in special teams efficiency for ESPN. You get the idea. Michigan has been a really good team. The biggest question regarding Maryland for this game is, are the Terps going to get demolished? Okay, nothing has been worse for Maryland from a football standpoint since joining the Big Ten than the extent to which the Terps have gotten shredded in games against ranked Big Ten teams. Just look at last season. The Terps in the 2021 season against ranked Big Ten teams went 0-4 and got outscored by a combined score of 216-70. Among those losses, a 59-18 loss to then number six Michigan at Maryland Stadium in College Park on November 20th, 2021. And that game, by the way, was one of Talia Tungavailoa's worst games of the 2021 season. The public is all over Michigan. I would love to take the Terps in a contrarian pick, but I can't. The Terps under head coach Mike Loxley, and just since joining the Big Ten period, have had a very hard time against ranked Big Ten teams, and this game is in the big house. Give me Michigan, minus 16 and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Thank you, Snoop Dogg. Goldilocks, game number two, Virginia at Syracuse, Friday night at seven. Yes, the game on Friday night. The Cavaliers are plus 10. Uh, the Wahoos improved to two and one with a 16-14 win over Old Dominion at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville, Virginia last Saturday afternoon. Kicker Brendan Farrell connected on a game-winning 26-yard field goal as time expired. The Cavs led in the second quarter 10-0, but then lost the rest of the game 14-6. Not exactly a super impressive win for the Hoos. Uh, now, they did move the ball, but they only scored 16 points. The Hoos totaled 513 total net yards of offense, but the Hoos committed three turnovers, all of which were lost fumbles that came over three consecutive true offensive possessions over the second and third quarters. I'm not counting an end of first half possession that consisted of just one snap which was a kneel down. Uh, Also, the Hoos in this game, just one touchdown over seven red zone possessions. Uh, UVA has got to get quarterback Brennan Armstrong going. This is a guy who was so good last season. He has not been so good so far this season. Now, Armstrong in the win over Old Dominion did make back-to-back big plays on UVA's game-winning drive. He had a second and 10 30-yard shotgun completion to receiver Lavelle Davis Jr. down the middle of the field and then had a first and 10, 13-yard shotgun scramble. So I do give Armstrong credit for those plays, but Armstrong in the game also had two lost fumbles. One came on a carry. The other lost fumble came on a sack strip. Uh, Armstrong completed just 20 of his 37 pass attempts. His completion percentage for this season over three games, a mere 52.94. Armstrong had no interceptions, but also no touchdown passes. He has just two touchdown passes through three games this season. Armstrong in the 2021 season had 31 touchdown passes over 11 games. Uh, Things are not clicking 
for Brendan Armstrong and the UVA passing game so far this season. Now, that's not all on Armstrong, okay? UVA's offensive line hasn't been great, and UVA pass catchers have been guilty of way too many drops, but Virginia's new head coach, Tony Elliott, has got to figure this out with Brendan Armstrong. Elliott was an offensive assistant coach at Clemson for 11 seasons, 2011 to 2021. He worked with quarterback Deshaun Watson. Elliott worked with quarterback Trevor Lawrence. Gotta get Brendan Armstrong going here. Uh, Virginia through week three was number 93 in the FBS in offensive efficiency per ESPN for the 2022 season. Uh, The Cavs' rushing offense in the win over Old Dominion was good. Running back Xavier Brown, 9 carries, 88 yards. Running back Paris Jones, 11 carries, 56 yards. Running back Mike Hollins, 8 carries, 29 yards, and a touchdown. Although he also had a lost fumble. And the Who's defense in the win over Old Dominion was good. The Who's held ODU to just 14 points and just 4 of 15 on third downs. Uh, The Syracuse Orange... Uh, It has been one of the more surprising teams in the FBS so far this season. Syracuse is 3-0, a 31-7 ripping of Louisville, a 48-14 win at UConn, and a 32-29 win over Purdue. The Cuse through week three was number 31 in the FBS in overall team efficiency for ESPN for the 2022 season. Syracuse quarterback Garrett Schrader through week three was number 22 among qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR for the 2022 season. Uh, Also, know this, Syracuse's quarterbacks coach is Jason Beck. He was Virginia's quarterbacks coach from 2016 through 2021. How much intel do you think that Jason Beck has provided to the Cuse regarding Brennan Armstrong? Uh, The public is all over Syracuse. I am too. Uh, Virginia's offense cannot be trusted right now. Give me Syracuse, minus 10. Make money, money, make money, money, money. And Goldilocks game number three, Navy at East Carolina, Saturday evening at six. The midshipmen are plus 16 and a half. Uh, Navy has not been good so far this season. The mids are 0-2, a season opening 14-7 loss to Delaware, an FCS school at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis, Maryland on September 3rd, and then a 37-13 loss to Memphis at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium on September 10th. Navy through week three was 126th out of 131 teams in the FBS in overall efficiency for ESPN for this season. The Mids offense in particular has not been good. In fact, Navy's offense through week three, dead last in the FBS in offensive efficiency for ESPN for this season. Uh, the East Carolina Pirates are 2-1, and one, a 21-20 home loss to then number 13 NC State, but then a 39-21 win over Old Dominion, and then a 49-10 win over Campbell. ECU running back Keaton Mitchell so far this season, averaging 9.3 yards per carry over 41 carries. Uh, Navy is coming into this game with a week more of rest than ECU has. Uh, there has been a good bit of public money on Navy for this game, but I don't know how you can buy into the midshipmen right now, not with how bad that offense has been. Give me East Carolina minus 16 and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. 
All right, Snoop. So to review, Michigan minus 16 and a half, Syracuse minus 10, and East Carolina minus 16 and a half. Your Goldilocks for the rest of week four of the 2022 college football season. And also on Saturday, the Sunbelt Conference opener for James Madison, uh, the Dukes at Appalachian State, Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Going to be very interesting to see if JMU quarterback Todd Centeo can keep killing it as he has been. Centeo through week three, number 10 among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR for this season at 87.8. Well, one of the more high-variance players on the Orioles this season has been starting pitcher Kyle Bradish. Uh, when he has been good, he has been great. When he has been bad, he has been really bad. Uh, the O's on April 29th recalled Bradish from AAA Norfolk. He was good in two of his first three Major League regular season starts, including a sensational performance in a 5-3 win at the St. Louis Cardinals on May 10th. Bradish in that game, two runs in seven innings, 11 strikeouts versus no walks. But Bradish then was woeful in each of seven consecutive starts. He, over the seven starts, allowed 30 earned runs in just 29 and a third innings. Uh, Bradish then was on the 15-day injured list from June 24th, retroactive to June 21st to July 29th with right shoulder inflammation. And Bradish, since coming off the 15-day IL, has been very mixed. But his good has been great. An example of that was what he did on August 26th, the 2-0 win at the American League-leading Houston Astros. Bradish in that game, eight scoreless innings. Well, wouldn't you know that Kyle Bradish on Thursday night dominated the mighty Astros again in a 2-0 Orioles victory. The O's beat the American League-leading Astros 2-0 at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Thursday night in Game 1 of a four-game series, and Kyle Bradish was sensational. As the O's, Joe Angel, again, were in the win column. And the Orioles, again, in the win column! That's right, my man, Joe. The win column. Uh, the O's now are 78 and 71. Still are four games behind the Seattle Mariners for the American League's third wild card spot. But Kyle Bradish on Thursday night, eight and two thirds scoreless innings with 10 strikeouts versus no walks. He gave up just two hits, both of which were singles. He threw exactly 100 pitches, 70 strikes versus 30 balls. He was outstanding. He pitched like an ace. You know, this game marked the return of former Oriole Trey Mancini to Oriole Park at Camden Yards of the O's having traded Mancini to the Astros on August 1st. Mancini went 0 for 3 with two strikeouts. Kyle Bradish was the story of the game. This was O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference on Thursday night on Kyle Bradish. What an amazing start from Kyle. Um, you know, two singles and weren't hit very hard, no walks, 10 punch outs, just an outstanding, outstanding job. And for me, first time being able to go back out in the ninth inning in the big leagues, uh, um, that was really cool. Yes, it was. Uh, Kyle Bradish now in the 2022 regular season, 21 major league starts, ERA 
of 465. He really has been up and down. I mean, just consider his previous two starts, a 1-0 loss to the Boston Red Sox at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on September 11th. Bradish was really good in that game, one run in seven innings, but a 6-3 loss at the American League wildcard leading Toronto Blue Jays this past Saturday, September 17th. Bradish not so good in that game, five runs, three earned in four and two-thirds innings, but Bradish now has done very well against the mighty Astros twice in less than a month. This was Brandon Hyde during his post-game press conference on Thursday night on why Bradish has had this success against the Astros. I'm not sure if it's team-related. I just, you know, his, uh, he's got his fastball going two different ways now. And when it's 96-97 when it's and it's going left or going right now with the sinker, uh, it's just super hard to hit. They can't stay out over the plate on him anymore. Um, and his breaking balls are so good that he can throw both of them um, and get swing and misses. So adding the changeup is a little bit hard. The changeup's a little bit hard. That's like kind of like a normal person's two-seamer. Um, but then he's got the two-seamer now that's n- mid-90s, and you see guys getting tough takes because they're looking out over the plate. He's just really learning how to pitch, and and uh, that was a lot of fun to watch tonight. Wish he could, wish he could have finished it. And keep in mind what happened in the Orioles' previous game, the 8-1 win over the Detroit Tigers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Wednesday night. Jordan Lyles tossed his second career Major League complete game, his first since September 30th, 2012. He allowed one run in nine innings. Jordan Lyles and Kyle Bradish are the first Orioles to work eight or more innings in consecutive games since Chris Tillman and Scott Feldman in July 2013. How about that? It had been a while since we had had back-to-back starts as good as these last two starts here uh, for the O's. Also, Bradish on Thursday night outdueled the Astros ace, Justin Verlander. Uh, He allowed two runs in six innings. You know, Verlander for the 2022 regular season is number one among all qualified pitchers in ERA at 182. So the O's have won a game in this series started by the great Verlander. Uh, Rugnet Odor, he was the Orioles' starting second baseman on Thursday night. Of having not played in each of the previous four games, uh, old Rugie had really been struggling, but he on Thursday night had a two-out, two-run single in the bottom of the second. Game two for the O's against the Astros at Oriole Park at Camden Yards Friday night at 7.05. Dean Kramer will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Game three Saturday night at 7.05. Tyler Wells will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And game four Sunday afternoon at 1.05. Austin Voth will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 407, will feature in-depth reaction to and analysis of whatever happens in the Commanders game against the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon. 
at 1. I'll talk plenty of college football as well. Maryland at number 4 Michigan Saturday at noon. Virginia at Syracuse Friday night at 7. Navy at East Carolina Saturday evening at 6. James Madison at Appalachian State Saturday afternoon at 3.30. And on Monday's show, we'll talk Nationals and Orioles. And that's this weekend. We'll play a three-game series at the Miami Marlins. The O's this weekend will play the final three games of a four-game series against the American League-leading Houston Astros at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Friday. Have a great Saturday and Sunday. And I'll talk to you on Monday. Yeah, I think he's done okay. I, I I don't really want to sit and evaluate our players, you know, each week. So you know, I'm gonna you know start nipping that a little bit. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.